Hello, Oma and Konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC Tiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira live from Las Vegas. While that light heavyweight bout is certainly exciting and may have title implications, although Israel Adesanya might have a little bit to say about that. Regardless, we're not going to be breaking down that fight or any other of the fights on the main card because this is the prelim primer. We will instead be looking at just the prelim portion of the card. Now, for those of you who might be new to the show and wondering to yourself, why just the prelims? Why not look at the entire fight card? Because this thing is, is pretty exciting at the top. The answer is really simple. The answer is we know that you probably have a lot of knowledge about Tiago Santos and Glover Teixeira and Claudia Gedalia and all the other fighters on the main card. But you probably need a little help with some of these names that are fighting earlier on in the night, especially if you're gambling or playing daily fantasy sports. And that's where we're here to give you that knowledge. And speaking of gambling, daily fantasy sports, and knowledge, this episode is brought to you by AJ's Action Pack Sports Bets. You can find him at AJ's Action Pack Sports Bets.com. That link is, of course, in the show notes. Unlike all of the other companies who offer gambling advice, AJ does not just give you the list of fighters he plans on betting on. Instead, he gives you so much more than that. He provides his customers with not only picks, but with an education that you can use for years to come. He does this with in-depth breakdowns that get sent right to your inbox for both gambling and DraftKings. He gives you the tips and know-how so that you can get better at this and you can maximize your profit. And really, that's what all of us want to do, right? So make sure to check him out at AJ'sActionPackSportsBets.com. Once again, that link is in the show notes. Or you can follow him on Twitter at AJMMABetting. Now let's get back to the show. As I said before, we're going to be breaking down the prelims of Santos versus Teixeira. Once again, I am joined by Benjamin Abrigo from the Fix Fight Podcast with Kurt and Ben. Ben, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me here. Always a pleasure. All right, guys. And as you know, we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Marcos Rogerio de Lima versus Alexander Romanov. So de Lima, 2-1 in his last three. He rebounded from a submission loss to Stefan Struve by knocking out Ben Sosely back in February. Romanov, meanwhile, had a dominant arm triangle debut over Roque Martinez back in September. He's 12-0 overall. Now, now my question to you is, DeLima obviously had trouble with Stefan Struve in his being on top of him. Does he stand any chance of stopping that against Romanov, who looked like a beast with the takedowns last time out? Honestly, no. I, I think that's my my general uh, assumption here is that Romanov will be able to get the fight to the back to the mat pretty quickly, especially if it gets to the second round. Um, when I was preparing for this, I was looking at DeLima and I knew he had been around for a while, but I don't know, man, I was shocked to learn he's been in the UFC since like 2014. Um, and I think it's it's worth noting that he essentially alternates, not essentially he does alternate a win with a submission loss going back to like 2015. So it's easy. Sometimes the, the answer here feels super obvious. And I think the answer here is very obvious with with a, a wrestler the caliber of Romanov and Delima kind of having a history of gassing, letting himself get taken down and submitted. And, and you mentioned that he keeps alternating, like he wins a fight and then he loses by submission, which Romanov, by the way, has very underrated submission skills, especially for a guy who looks like he does. 
But the other thing, too, to notice is a lot of those submission losses are not even to very big guys. In fact, a lot of them are at light heavyweight, right? Like, he lost to uh, Gadamurazad in Tigulov. He lost to Ovin Pru. He lost to Nikita Krylov. Like, he's losing to, like, smaller light heavyweights by submission who are able to hold him down and, like, choke him out. Like, dude, there's no chance that Romanov does anything <laughs> but submit him any way he wants uh, I'm going to take him in the first round. I'll take him by something funny like a key lock or something like that. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to go with second round submission just because I think Delima is real feisty in the first five minutes. But, yeah, I could also see like a forearm crush, something like that on top. Uh, kind of a a, um, a very bizarre submission I would be all about. Yeah, I'm going to be all about it too. And that brings us to our second fight, which is Trevin Giles versus Bevin Lewis. Giles Back-to-back guillotine losses to Gerald Mearshart and Zach Cummings, but then he picks up a split decision victory over James Krause that some thought was a little bit questionable. And then we've got Bevan Lewis, who lost to Darren Stewart and Uriah Hall to start his UFC run, but then picked up a win over Daquan Townsend back in January. So both guys on two-fight losing streaks snapped them with a recent win. My question for you here comes, again, we're going to talk a little bit about the grappling. Giles seems to like to lean on his wrestling and then get caught in something stupid, right? Like I just said, he had two submission losses to guys who are, you know, clearly better grapplers than him. Is it something that he's going to have to worry about with Bevan Lewis? And and is it going to stop him from worrying about it? Um, I think in terms of submission, actual submission threats, I don't think Bevan Lewis is really that guy who's going to give him troubles on the mat. But I also think um, for for Giles, that kind of underscores some questionable fight IQ and some gas tank issues that I I think Bevan Lewis might be able to take advantage of here. I'm not saying Bevan Lewis is going to shoot for a double leg and, and move to his back or anything, but I wouldn't be surprised if Giles plays around a little bit too much on the ground um, and loses a bad position to a guy in Bevan Lewis, who I think is the inferior grappler. Yeah, and I would say this about Bevan Lewis, too. He is very physically strong, right? Like, if you see him in, in grappling exchanges or clinch exchanges up against the cage, he, he's kind of one of those guys who's got big, heavy hips. He's he's able to sort of, like, muscle himself out of positions once in a while. And I think what you said, if, if he's in a prolonged grappling exchange here, even if it's not all the way to the mat yet, if it's just against the cage... I can definitely see Trevin Giles going for like an ill-advised takedown in some situation and having Bevin Lewis wind up on top of him. It could definitely cost him a round though. And, and my question, I guess, is just then like, is it going to be enough to cost him the fight anywhere? Or does he win enough of the early exchanges here to probably take a decision? Man, I am really torn about this fight. I think most of it will happen on the feet with a little bit of cage grappling. I think well, I am favoring ever so slightly Bevan Lewis's kind of cleaner, crisper striking on the feet. And I think he has a little bit better gas tank. But, man, there are a ton of questions about this fight. I think it's really close. Um, and by that same token, I wouldn't be surprised if Giles, you know, does some really explosive stuff early in the fight and gets a knockout here. But I'm going to pick Bevan Lewis by by close competitive decision. Yeah, I think this one goes to a close decision too, but I'm going to leave it in the hands of Trevin Giles here just because I think he probably wins enough of those early exchanges to carry his him through the fight, you know, wins enough around two after winning a, you know, pretty clear round one and winds up taking this. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with round number two. And this is just a reminder that this show is brought to you by AJ's ActionPackSportsBets.com. That link is in the show notes. One of the awesome things that AJ does for you is that he sends you not just his picks each week, 
but he sends you some pros and cons for each of the matchups, as well as some of his thoughts on DraftKings matchups. And to me, that that's a real big point for me as far as what AJ brings to his clients, because I'm always wondering, who, who are the people who are going to be heavily owned? Who are the people who are not going to be heavily owned? Who are maybe some of the sleepers I can snag that, that if they have a big night, I'm going to cash big on the big prize. And AJ is 100% there to help you for that. So check out what he's got in store for you at AJ's Action Pack SportsBets.com. Once again, that link is in the show notes. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Max Griffin versus Ramiz Brahimai. So Griffin won in four in his last five fights, which is pretty crazy. He lost two. Then he picks up a win, which was a, a victory over... Oh, it's not in my notes here. But then he lost two in a row. His most recent loss is the Cowboy Oliveira by split decision back in March. Brahimai, meanwhile, was supposed to fight on the Contender Series. Then he was supposed to make his UFC debut. There were COVID cases, a tumor in his eye, all kinds of weird things going on. Bottom line is he's finally making his UFC debut. He's 8-2. And, and, and what's really interesting about Brahimai is, again, I don't mean to lean on the grappling on every single question, but the guy's got eight submission victories out of his eight victories. So, like, all he does is go in there and sub guys. Now, Griffin's been in there with guys who are probably tougher grapplers than Brahimai and hasn't really gotten taken out of there. So is is that a bad game plan? Is this a bad matchup for the newcomer? I, you know, maybe just because Griffin is so experienced at, at a high level. Um, and Brahima, for me at least, is a guy who's difficult to get a read on. Because those submissions, yes, he's he's a very opportunistic grappler, and he'll latch onto your neck or, or take your back whenever it's there. But he's not the type of guy, I think, who is going to kind of Damian Maya you, where he gets you against the cage and slowly takes you down and works to your back and, and works toward a submission that way. Um, he kind of relies on his opponents to make mistakes and give him give him those opportunities so i actually think griffin here is going to lean on his his experience um and i think it's worth noting that you know he is i think a much better fighter than one in four in his last five fights um those were all decision losses two of them were split so i think griffin will be able to stay out of trouble here because he knows what brahima brings to the table which is really dangerous uh submission grappling yeah, and I, I like what you said there, too, about him not being Davian Maya-esque. I th think if you're looking for a point of comparison for somebody who grapples like Brahim Maya does, I, I think the best comparison is probably, like, an early UFC career Ray Borg, where he yeah. just seems to think he can take the back from any fucking position he, he possibly <laughs> could try. And sometimes he's right. Sometimes he can take the position from there. And on the regional circuit, he's almost always right at taking that position. I guess, you know, like it's it's really questionable about whether or not he's going to be able to do that to Max Griffin. The thing that does give me some pause is Max Griffin has given up some takedowns to some people he probably shouldn't have given up taken downs to, right? Like Kurt, Curtis Milliner got him down. Mike Perry took him down. And like, you know, he still beat Mike Perry, but like Mike Perry took him down, which is not a good sign in my book. I, and for that reason, I, I'm at least intrigued by what Brahim Mai can do here. Um, but intrigued enough to pick him, I guess I'm going to send it over to you first for your pick. I'm going trepidatiously with Max Griffin here just because, I mean, he just fought uh, Cowboy Oliveira for 15 minutes and even Alex Morono before that. Like, 
I think this is going to feel like a step down in competition. No disrespect to to Brahima, but I just think um, he's going to be able to stay out of trouble for the most part. But if I were a gambling man, I would look deep into like a Brahima like round one submission prop or something, because I would imagine most people think Griffin will be able to stay out of trouble since he's been in the UFC for so long. And I don't think he's been submitted once. But man, Brahima, if he, if he sees your neck, he is a finisher. So there's risk there. But yeah, I'm going with Griffin um, by decision. Yeah, and if you're looking for that prop too, by the way, Brahimai uh, by submission is betting off at like plus two fifty or plus three hundred, depending on the book. So if you can find the the you know round one version of that too, it's probably looking even nicer. And, and I'm actually gonna go with Brahimai here too. I just think you know like the the possibility of him finding that submission just one time, especially because Max Griffin occasionally shoots takedowns himself. I think it's there. Um, but you're you're definitely right. He is the better striker, and he's he's been the distance. So you have to like him for that reason. But I'm still going to go with the newcomer. And that brings us to a fight which is much easier to call, and that's Giga Chikazi versus Jamie Simmons. Chikazi, 4-0 in the UFC, including three wins this year. He most recently beat Omar Morales, coming down from 155. Simmons is only 6-2, making his UFC debut. He is coming off two incredibly fast knockouts in about a minute's time each. Uh, both of those happened at the end of 2019. He's kind of a wild brawler who just throws like crazy punches all the time in bunches. Tell me about how bad of an idea that is against Giga Chikatsu. <laughs> uh, I think that's a I think that's a really bad idea. I think this is a showcase fight for the kickboxer here for Giga for Giga Chikaze. and Simmons. Obviously, you know he has power he has potentially has athleticism but i think at his core he is a pretty basic wrestler boxer um i don't think he's going to be able to get chikadze down and certainly not be able to hold him down any exchange of punches i think is going to go in chikadze's favor real real quick uh i like chikadze here by by pretty um definitive first round stoppage yeah and when you look at how he looked against morales too where he was moving so much more not not just faster, but more aggressive too, right? Like I I think the the fact that he's finally putting his aggression and his technical aspects all together, like he's a nightmare matchup for a lot of guys in that division. Never mind a guy who's six and two, you know, coming on a two fight win streak to get into the UFC <laughs> on short notice. You know, like Chikadze is supposed to be fighting somebody much better here, and he's gonna make it look like he was supposed to fight somebody better. Uh, I'll go first round stoppage as well. And that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with round number three. All right, guys, we already talked about all of the value that AJ's ActionPackSportsBets.com can bring you because AJ knows so much about this gambling game. And if you don't believe me, head on over to his Twitter, at AJMMABetting, because he's dropping all kinds of free content there all the time, and you'll get a little bit of taste of what being his subscriber feels like. Right now, he's got a great article up there about finding a way to dissolve that recency bias and making analysis based on decisions that are regret-free. And let me tell you something. This is really insightful kind of stuff, and this is just a taste of what you get as one of his subscribers. So check out that article on his Twitter, and make sure you head on over to AJ's ActionPackSportsBets.com. You won't be sorry you did. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Darren the Damage Elkins versus Eduardo Garagori. Elkins has actually lost 
four straight fights. Alex Volkanovsky, Ricardo Lamas, Ryan Hall, and Nate Landwer. Of course, all of those guys took him to decision with the exception of Lamas, who knocked him out. Garagori, meanwhile, after getting a decision in his debut over Humberto Bendene, he lost his follow-up fight to Ricardo Ramos by rear naked choke last November. He, of course, hasn't fought in about a year either. Now, obviously, th this is a big step down for Elkins, although I guess Landwer, it's not that big of a step down from Landwer, but a big step down from the first three. Do you think he's shot to the point where we should start worrying about Darren Elkins? Or do you think, like, you know, that was just some crazy good competition in a tough fight with somebody like Landwer? I, th I think it's a little bit of both, uh, but I don't think Darren Elkins is so shot that he's not going to be able to kind of do his thing against Garagori here. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a huge step down from the guys before Landwer, but, man, you look at Garagori, all respect to him, he, I think, is a, is a decent kind of kickboxer slash brawler on the feet, but even Umberto Bondone was able to take him down several times in that fight. Um, I think skill-wise, whether Darren Elkins is shot or not, I think skill-wise he is on a completely different level when it comes to uh, MMA wrestling and MMA grappling and, and even just overall submission skills. So I like Elkins here. I thought I think he should be an even bigger favorite than he is currently. Um, I think Elkins gets, gets him down, beats him up a little bit, takes his back or latches onto a guillotine. So he, here's just one follow-up to that too that I'm just going to ask you about. It's like, Elkins, you're right, definitely has the skills to take him down, sub him as quickly as he could possibly want. How worried are you that he doesn't <laughs> go that route, though? How worried are you that he decides, I can do this with my hands? I mean, a little worried, but even on the feet, I think he can afford to exchange a little bit here. Um, and he's a veteran enough that I think he, if he gets, starts getting tagged on the feet, he's going to lean on his wrestling. And the takedowns will be there. Garagori stands pretty tall. He kicks a lot. Um, so even if Elkins thinks, oh, I'm going to show some skills on the feet, I think his instincts will kick in real quick if he does get hit there. Yeah, I kind of agree with you, too, and I like your pick. I'm going with Darren Elkins, rear naked choke uh, in whatever round he decides to finally <laughs> take it to the mat. Uh, and that takes us to our last fight, which is Rayone Barcelos versus Khalid Taha. Barcelos is actually 4-0 in the UFC. He last beat Sedner Megamedov back in December. Uh, actually, his last two wins prior to coming to the UFC were also over guys who wound up in the UFC as well, Dan Moret and Bobby Moffat. So almost like a 6-0 UFC run here. Taha, meanwhile, lost in his debut, but is now on a two-fight win streak. He knocked out Boston Salmon in his last fight, or uh, in his second-to-last fight, and in his last fight, he triangled Bruno Silva. So two pretty nice finishes, but, uh, you know, I feel like we wound up with a very grappling-heavy prelim card here because here's my question. Taha is actually 0-8 in defending takedowns in the UFC. <laughs> How alarming is that when you're fighting Rayoni Barcelos? Man, I don't think I I don't think I was aware of that stat. Um, that's very alarming. I mean, my my pick going in is I will say it right now is is Barcelos. He's a guy who I have been really really high on since he came to the UFC. His overall uh, takedown game, his overall top control game, his ground and pound is just I think top 10, top 15 level here. Um, Taha, I think, will... I, I don't think I realized he was quite so bad at, at defending takedowns, um, but he's also a guy who, like, willingly seems to exchange in grappling, um, and I think that's a really bad idea here. Um, I like Barcelos to kind of outwork him. He, Taha, super athletic. I wouldn't be surprised if he survives 15 full minutes here, but I, I like Barcelos by a pretty wide margin. 
and again, I'm going to say almost the same thing I did against Elkins. It's like, I, I think that you're right. I think the difference in their grappling is so different that as soon as this hits the mat, Barcelos wins. But I'm also just interested in how long it takes Barcelos to do that. Because, you know, like if, if you look at Taha's fight with Boston Sam in all 25 seconds of it, he throws very crisp combinations. He likes when, when somebody's going to rush in and try to make it a fight on the inside. He likes to throw short hooks on the inside, stuff to the body that's going to hurt you. And, and, like, for that reason, like, Barcelos is not, like, a really polished striker. His, his strikes sometimes come really wide. He throws really, like, long strikes from time to time when he feels like he can't close the distance. I think as soon as it's on the ground, he submits him. But that being said, I'm, like, very interested in whether or not this winds up there. So I'm also going to go with Barcelos. I'm going to go with him by submission kind of later in the fight. But that's a dynamic I'm keeping an eye on here for this fight. Yeah, my only – I was going to say, my my only caveat is I think Barcelos is kind of reckless a little bit on the feet or not super polished. But I do think his striking is all aimed at getting it into a grappling exchange, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. That that makes perfect sense. But what's interesting about that, too, though, is how much of that does Taha recognize? You know, like, how much does he just sort of walk through the, the, you know, like, the the volume strikes that he's using to try to close the distance and try to light him up? And and he might not notice that at all, right? Like, he might just fall into, you know, a clinch exchange, or he he might just see Barcelos coming too close and grab on, because, you know, that's what some fighters do when people move forward aimlessly and try to turn him against the cage, and ultimately that's going to be bad for him. But if he recognizes that, that those are sort of just, like, spam strikes sometimes to try to get it close enough... I think he could probably have success in the feet. I just don't know that that's necessarily going to happen. Um, but that is an interesting aspect to that fight, and we hope you guys enjoyed all of the interesting aspects we pointed out on these fights because we are now done with all six of these prelim fights in just about 15 minutes. Hope you learned something over the process. I, of course, want to thank my co-host, Benjamin Abrigo. You can catch him on the Fixed Fight Podcast with Kurt and Ben. He is obviously the Ben. Ben, thanks so much for the time. <laughs> thank you.